Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am your host, Michelle Gale. I'm also the author of the book by the same name, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, which you can find on Amazon. If you have happened to have read it and wouldn't mind leaving a review for me on Amazon, that would be most appreciated. You can also go to my website to join my community at beamindfulparent.com. And if you listen to this podcast and love it, leaving a review on iTunes would be amazing. Last but not least, I'm going to be at a retreat on the East Coast of the U.S. this year in Pennsylvania. It's a retreat for women May 18th through the 20th called Rise Gatherings. You can find them on risegatherings.com. It's in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. I'll be leading multiple workshops on mindful parenting as well as workshops on women's leadership, the mindfulness advantage in women's leadership. And if you use the code Michelle with two L's, you will receive $100 off your ticket price for the weekend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. My name is Michelle Gale. I am your host. Thank you for being here with us. Um, Today, I am here with Andrew Dunn, who is the co-founder and CEO of Ciempo, the phone for humans. Andrew's a San Francisco-based conscious entrepreneur who envisions a world in which technology supports human beings. A digital native who struggled with tech addiction for over a decade, He's currently working on Ciempo to give people their lives back. Ciempo's first product is an Android app that transforms your phone into a more intentional and less distracting experience. Oh my gosh, that sounds like something we could all use. Andrew is also passionate about mindfulness, organizational culture, and learning and development. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at, at AA, so it's A Andrew Dunn on Twitter. A Andrew Dunn, I want to make sure I get that right. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Michelle. I'm super grateful to be on with you. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. And I know this is a conversation that parents are really aching to have, and there's a lot of information out there, mm-hmm. and it can be really confusing. And so I'm excited to have you here to share about you know, your experience with technology, what you're doing now, and be able to hopefully give parents some ideas and tips about what to do and, you know, where to find the information they need. And I think um, having you who has been through this and is still a relatively young age is really helpful. Um, I think you have, you're, you're going to have information that, that we really need. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a messy digital world out there. And, yeah, it really yeah. is. Would you mind starting by sharing some of your story about um, about your tech addiction and kind of how you got to where you are now? Absolutely. So I'm 27. I got my first phone and computer in my room at age 12. And for about a decade, I, I really feel like I operated under a hypnosis of, of tech. I was very dependent on these messaging apps, social media, websites, and in a way that I feel stunted my development and limited my potential. And you think about how much stronger these tools have come in the last decade versus when I started using them. And it's, it's hard to imagine what, what parents and children have to deal with now. Wow. But, Can I stop you and ask, um, at yeah. that time, I mean, you were kind of one of the first you know, age groups to have that at that age. 
And what was going, what, what were your parents thinking? What was going on for them? Did they just like not understand that it wasn't good for you? Do you think? Yeah, I think there was no question. Like having a computer would enable me to do more homework or to do better research, to yeah. connect with, uh, to connect with friends when I didn't have a driver's license. Uh, no, nobody was really talking about this at the time. And it never even really occurred to me that I had a problem until some friends in college started pointing it out. But Nobody was talking about solutions. It seemed so normalized because everyone else was kind of doing it. And I didn't really feel like it was getting in the way of my life uh, too much. Wow. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I was traveling abroad where I found myself without Wi-Fi for the first time in basically a decade. And it was suddenly this moment of calm, like, oh, my God, this is the real world. This is direct experience. I felt so present and creative and clear and myself. And I, I looked back on that decade and was like, wow, all those times I was texting and driving, waking up in the middle of the night, checking dating apps for an hour, you know, running away from family holiday dinners so I could get back to my computer. And I sort of entered this four-year exploration to figure out how to better balance my relationship with technology. And through that has taking me to all these different ways of knowing, whether it's been childhood developmental psychology or the actual user experience design of these systems. And, you know, right now there's a lot of finger pointing and blame, like, oh, it's Facebook, it's Apple, it's, you know, these behavior designers. Um, in reality, we're, we're just starting to learn about the impacts of these things. The people who made them were not malintended. Uh, we just, like, it, it took us 60 years to require that cars had seatbelts because we learned, you know, the repercussions of, of not having these safety measures. And I think with tech, we're seeing something similar. As a species, we're starting to realize um, that there are more responsible ways to both design and use these things, and we're adjusting accordingly. And it's going to be slow, but I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think there's a lot of really good people creating alternatives, pushing the big companies to make better design decisions, working with governments to see if there's a way we can cooperate and uh, and require certain types of behavior, and cultural norms are starting to change. You know, it's it's not as accepted anymore to have your phone out at dinner or to, you know, sleep next to it. So mm. we're learning. I want to I want to give everyone you know a sigh of relief that it's it's nothing that you did wrong. <laughs> um, we're we're all we're all figuring it out together. Wow. And would you mind sharing a little bit about, and thank you for that normalization and, and hope. I'm hearing <laughs> a little hope in what you're sharing. Oh, definitely. I think we all need a little bit of that. Yeah. Would you be willing to share a little bit about that for your journey to your healthy relationship with technology and maybe some of the things you did or, and, and, you know, where you put your attention during that time that may give some parents some inspiration on how to support their own kids or themselves, by the way. So this isn't just about our kids. You know, we're all, mm -hmm. we're all addicted. Many of yeah. us, right? Absolutely. I think it started with first just being aware of my behavior and wanting to make a change. So I, I became motivated because I saw a better way. And a lot of people seem to experience that when they're on vacation or if they lose their phone or if they get in trouble for being on their phone too much, it's kind of a wake-up call. So the wake-up call was really helpful for me. And then I, I think I sort of started tying it to events. Like, okay, I'm going to this thing, uh, this concert or this family event or dinner. And okay, I'm going to make a conscious choice to put my phone down and try what it's like to, uh, to not be distracted. Mm -hmm. And 
over time doing things like having a morning and evening routine where I don't pick up my phone until half an hour or an hour after I wake up and I don't use it in the final hours of the evening. Those have yielded really cool results because in the morning it creates space for me to work on myself, whether that's meditation, yoga, jogging, journaling, stretching, writing. I think I said journaling. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but that can be different. Um, and then in the evening, I, I swear I wasn't having dreams much the last 15 years. And then a few months ago, I started an evening routine and now I'm dreaming. <laughs> so wow. that's pretty cool. And I've noticed little things like, it seems like the older, lower performance and smaller the phone, the less you're going to use it just because it's not as fun and sleek to use. So someone will take out an iPhone X and I'll be like, oh my God, that looks amazing. <laughs> but <laughs> that results in hours a week and potentially more stress. Uh, so I use a five-year-old Android phone and in that I've been able to save money, carbon footprint and attention. And that's kind of cool. That I or, haven't heard of before. And it does uh, it moves slower, especially iPhones. They start to move so slowly that you can't even use them for work. I don't know how the Android is, but that's been my experience with the iPhone that eventually like forces me to upgrade because I can't use it for work when I'm not at home. Right, yeah, it's, it's kind of a pattern interrupt. And yeah, Android is pretty good these days. Mm. So it's just a slightly different experience. It's not too scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you should check out, so there's a nonprofit called Time Well Spent. That, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Familiar. That's awesome. great. Mm -hmm. They just rebranded as the Center for Humane Technology, and they have a great recommendations um, section of their website where they talk about how you can make your phone grayscale, move apps off the home screen, uh, and things like that. So I would definitely check that out and, and play around, see what works for you. I think it's important to keep in mind that we all have very different digital lives. So what works for me might not work for you or your child. Mm -hmm. and it is going to be a pretty long-term iterative process of figuring out what works best for you and setting up your systems for success, which is, you know, a huge demand to place on the already nearly impossible job of being a parent. Um, but it's just something we have to adjust to and, you know, share best practices and, and work with our kids on. So I claim no expertise in parenting or, um, in, in childhood developmental psychology, but I've been speaking to some experts in this field and, and there's some really interesting, um, frameworks coming forward. So there's this growing movement called positive digital citizenship that encourages starting with a positive mindset and working side by side with our kids rather than at or to them in a more controlling authoritative way when exploring how to avoid risks and leverage the positives of these digital technologies. And that's based on a prevention science framework where it's not just about reducing risk, but also fostering these protective factors and pro-social behaviors that are really centered around relationship building because building those things become protective behaviors against the risks that we're concerned about. So instead of just saying, uh, hey, you've been on your phone too much, give it to me, like in that controlling authoritative way where you're taking away something from the child, um, why don't we have a conversation about how that child is relating with whatever they're using on the device and talk about what they're feeling and what might be, what they might be able to do instead. And then do those things with the child, yeah. whether it's going for a walk in nature or playing a game. And it could even be a game on one of these devices. But the point is you're, you're doing it together. You're not just 
thinking you can click a button and the problem is going to go away right. by controlling them. So um, that's a really fascinating one. Um, yeah. Again, we're all figuring it out as we go. <laughs> we really are figuring it out as we go. And I feel like in my house, it kind of ebbs and flows. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like we're just doing really well and have a good relationship to it. And for me, what I've found really just works really well in my house, at least, is just a lot of barriers, you know, yeah. so that the iPad has a, has a code on it, you know, mm -hmm. that my youngest doesn't know. So he has to ask, you know, when the code's not on it, then he just kind of picks it up. Right. right. It's an unlimited buffet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, of course he does. It doesn't surprise me. So, you know, I always, you know, we put the code on it and we downloaded this um, program net nanny. I don't know if you mm. checked that one out at all. I've heard of it. It's called net nanny and it's really changed our lives. You know, right. I don't worry so much because it does, it blocks and filters things you don't want them to have access mm. to. That's amazing. And, and I'm able to block, you know, YouTube. For my little guy who loves YouTube, but I'm not okay with him being on YouTube without an adult sitting with him. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make time, obviously, to sit with him yep. um, when he wants to go on YouTube. Um, and that's just something we have to do. But to me, YouTube, just it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a channel. You know, he's really interested in making videos. And now him and his friend have a channel and we're just monitoring it. Mm -hmm. They're only allowed to post things when we know they're posting things and they know mm -hmm. we're going to watch it. And um but, you know, he had some kind of weird stuff going on with mm. people following him and trying to get in contact with him. And, yeah. you know, YouTube is a tricky one, I feel like. Um, so anyway, for us, it's really helped to just like kind of like the gray screen and taking things off. And you know, just mm -hmm. the access isn't as easy. Like you talked about having the old phone. Um, mm -hmm. It's just not as easy. And then having, you know, there's no phones first thing in the morning. You know, we have family time, breakfast, connection, Great. and yeah. you know, they go off between eight and nine. Like all technology is off in the house between eight and nine. Awesome. Yeah. So it's been working. You know, my friend, Christine Carter, who does a lot of work around productivity, um, suggested this thing called circle and I, we'd already had it. I don't know if you've looked into it. I don't know if they've yeah. upgraded it, but it wasn't, this wasn't working for us. Um, but I do like the idea that you can just basically turn off the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, so there is no Wi-Fi. Um, but anyway, I think there's, I think for families, these tools that, um, become these barriers and then it also forces communication as well around it. You know, I really mm -hmm. want to do this thing online and okay, you know, we take that barrier away or anyway, I, I think that's been working for us. Awesome. And I want to also add it, it can be a fun experience to work on this together because, most of us aren't as adults. Most of us don't have the perfect digital habits. So no. it's something we get to learn with our kids together. And as the caregivers, kids are going to, uh, you know, emulate what, what parents do. And, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is if the child is reaching out for some needs and the parent is on their phone, bringing more attention to something else. Yes. Um, you know, that can create a really unhealthy attachment style, which I think is actually at the root of, a lot of what um, creates this problem later in life. So oh, you know, we're sure. all on different places on the spectrum, right? Some people yeah. have more of a dependency than others. Um, I would hypothesize that an unhealthy attachment style might lead to more dependency because you're, you're substituting that human connection that you might not have been getting on a consistent basis. 
Yeah. I mean, I've, I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. I think I shared when I was speaking not long ago, but I, I really worry about what's coming um, with, you know, mothers who have iPhones and they're breastfeeding mm. or bottle feeding and not looking at the baby mm. and pushing strollers and not looking at the babies, you know, I mean, such a attachment happened yeah. at that age, that infancy um, and baby stage. And, you know, exactly. maybe they're get, still getting it, but maybe they're getting a quarter less, you know, right. or half less. And what is that going to mean for attachment and developmental issues? I mean, I think, I think that's going to be something we're going to be hearing about in five mm-hmm. to 10 years. Definitely. But I think we can, uh, we can rest knowing that technology always solves problems that technology created. Mm. And so especially as we're moving people up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, now that basic needs are not fully covered, we have a distribution problem, but we do have an abundance of, you know, the bottom of the pyramid. And now it's how can we create these psychological tools to help with deeper human connection and psychological safety and self-actualization and self-transcendence, which is the part of the pyramid that Maslow added later in his career. And uh, it's really exciting to be in the Bay Area where we have so many people working on augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, wearables uh, to, to help people reduce suffering and expand consciousness. So yes, uh, there might be unintended consequences to some of the habits that we've cultivated today, but I think we'll, we'll be able to deal with them. I mean, ideally, we, we, we don't have as many problems, but I don't think those people will be at a complete loss. I think we'll continue to better understand the human psyche and um, have more wellness tools to help people with their, with their own issues. Yeah. Yeah. May it be so (laughs) for sure. May it be so, um, you know, this is a podcast about mindfulness and I know you're passionate about mindfulness and we met when you were on retreat with, uh, wisdom with us, which was really wonderful. So I know you're committed to practice mindfulness. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your entry into that world? And also, you know, you talked about the first thing we need to do is be aware and you know, Mm -hmm. that's the magic of mindfulness. It brings us awareness. So I'm just, I wonder if you'd speak to that a little bit more, kind of how you were introduced the types of things that you've been involved in. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I would trace it back to that wake up call I had while traveling. I was in India of all places where I was not there for any sort of spiritual exploration, but inevitably I encountered Eastern religion and philosophy and was just really curious about how these different cultures had different ways of perceiving reality. And so I practiced a little bit of meditation there and then moving to the Bay Area right afterwards, I I first was working at a fast-growing startup where I didn't really have much headspace to to explore some of these things. But when I left and I started working on Siempo, you know, we, we thoroughly believe that it's by working on ourselves that we can produce the best product and, and organization. Like we're, we're at a place where it's becoming crucial to be mindful of how who one is and what they value will manifest in what they create. Mm. And when I started working on Sampo, it became really clear that having my own work-life balance would be extremely important in order to create a product from a place of love rather than fear. I, I think we're beca- we're, the tech industry is becoming aware of how it's important to know how who one is and what they value will manifest in the team and the product that they create, and that we need to be sensitive of how these creations might harm others in ways that are sometimes impossible to predict, 
but are always possible to stop. And so we're seeing more executives focused on inner work and systems thinking. We're seeing investors launching innovative impact funds. Um, but yeah, building that into our culture allows me the, the time to take breaks when I need to, to suggest that we meet in a park, to start at meetings with a few minutes of breathing, and to uh, encourage employees to go out and try a retreat or do something that gets them out of their head and into their body. I think that one of the biggest tragedies of our smartphone addictions is that it takes us out of our surroundings and out of our body, which has a lot of useful information for us. So one of the things I actually recommend is this mantra, out of sight, off of body, out of mind. So there's both research suggesting Wait, say that. Say that again, say that again. Out of sight, off of body, out of mind. Okay, got it. Yeah, there's research that suggests that the presence of a phone on a table is distracting to a conversation and that feeling the phone in your pocket uh, is, is also taking your attention away. So when I commute, I will often put my phone in my backpack and I usually leave it there at the office. If anything, I put it behind my computer or at least face down, just nowhere where I'm going to be drawn to it rather than engage with the person I'm speaking with. Mm. Yeah. And that makes me think, you know, at my house, um, I've been noticing, and it's really only recently, um, you know, like my older son will just keep his phone with him in his pocket, which he didn't used to do. Mm. Um, that's a new thing. So you reminded me to probably, you know, communicate with him and talk to him about leaving his phone somewhere and, you know, checking it when needed, but not that it's yeah. just kind of available all the time. It, it gets tricky because if he listens to a lot of music on it, Mm. he's often often listening to music you know right. and like you said you're listening to music and then oh i'll just check my email or oh i'll just you know flip through this or um right you know. if it's on the menu you're going to use it yeah yeah, yeah. and we don't do like they're they don't have any social media apps we we, we haven't allowed any social media i think that's a mm -hmm. really slippery slope at this yeah age. Um, but you know, there's still email and there's text and there's, mm -hmm. um, there's music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to know where the, you know, it's those boundaries are just needing to constantly be rewritten. I think there's a lot, yes. it requires a lot of flexibility and patience and negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. that's an excellent observation. I've actually heard of a number of parents writing contracts that are negotiable and it's like, Hey, I'm giving you this iPhone and it's going to have, you know, these 12 provisions uh, you need to agree to it if we're going to give you the iPhone and then we can always discuss it further. And I think that's actually a really nice way of doing it because, you know, back to the car example, um, you know, we, we often have rules in the beginning, like you have to be home by nine o'clock, no driving with other people. And then gradually as trust is built and you know, you're shown to be a safe driver, you might be able to get full access anytime, but not immediately. Yeah. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little, the negotiation piece I really connect with mm -hmm. and I like that connection to driving, you know, when they're first driving, it's just like anything else. And I think a lot of it with parents um, is also, you know, that they're not left out. Kids aren't left out. Mm -hmm. You know, I know particularly kids that are older. My son was in a, a youth group for a little while and he was the younger 
kid. He was only, only one in eighth grade. All the other kids were in ninth and 10th grade. And, um, and they never put their phones down, you know, that age never put their phones down, but they were constantly in communication on it. They were usually playing a social game together and literally sitting with each other on this game at the same time. Right. It was such a social, so I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, you know, they're there, they're with each other, but they're all looking down on their phone. They're talking to each other. They're communicating. What do we think about that, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have an amazing answer at the moment. That's, yeah. that's really hard when your entire peer group is hanging out in a certain place and you don't feel like it's okay to hang out there or you are unable to. Um, yeah. I mean, in reality, that's, that, that is how, uh, like, like similar conditions existed 10, 20 years ago before phones, but now it's a lot more obvious because people will share things on social media and you can see what's going on. And the, the fear of missing out is even stronger, mm-hmm. which can reinforce feelings of self doubt and, you know, angst to the parents. And, and that's really hard. I mean, speaking from the car experience, um, I, my parents were pretty strict about not letting me drive with people. And that did cause a lot of tension between us. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I'm, I am grateful for those rules because they, they, they benefited me in, in, in several different ways. Uh, but it was a hard period. I don't think adolescence has ever been easy. And no, it is not yeah. easy. It is definitely not easy. And, and I do know for many kids, you know, who are very shy, um, you know, playing those social games are really supportive and really mm-hmm. helpful, you know, if they kind of don't feel comfortable um, in relationships other ways. And so it can be a nice bridge to getting used to having those kinds of connections. And so I do think it matters based on the situation, of course. Yep. Um, but this is something we're going to be, we're going to be exploring for a long long time to come. Would, would you share a little bit about your project? I, you kind of spoke around it, but I don't know that you spoke to it directly. You know, you're the, yeah. you're the CEO of CMPO, which is yep. the phone for humans. What does that mean? Tell us a little more. Yeah. So we, we want to give people their lives back. We, we want technology to serve us rather than the other way around. And so we're really tackling the design problem. And what we actually started making was a physical device, a real phone, more of a mindful phone that had different design principles. And we did a Kickstarter campaign for that last year. And it it got some good buzz, but it didn't take off in the way that we had hoped for. And I think the reasons why, you know, Tristan Harris, he has this digital city analogy where the Apple Googles of the world have created this digital city. They're the urban planners of the city that we live in. And with the Kickstarter and the hardware path, we were trying to create a different city with different laws and design principles that would be better for you. And we got some people interested in moving to that city, but for most, it was way too scary. Like no one's lived there before. And what if it doesn't have all the amenities and, you know, any number of reasons. And so what we did was then pivot to software when we're starting on Android where we can deliver a really complete experience. We can basically reimagine um, a mindful phone on your Android phone. And you can easily switch back and forth. And so that's more of like, okay, we can't leave the city that's been built for us, but we can navigate it. We can navigate more safely. We can navigate with more intention and less distraction. So you can think of Siempo as the, the seatbelt, the helmet, the sunscreen, the air filter, and the, the nicer neighborhood, the safer neighborhood with more parks and fresh air. 
that you'd want to have your kids playing in. And we're excited about this path because we think it's more accessible to more people, easier to try. And who knows, perhaps we'll, we'll be able to create a new city in the future. But um, yeah, we're really pumped about the new path. Wow. And um, do you imagine this is kind of the direction that we're going, you know, that there our phones will have this software that we can put on it, um, whatever kind of phone we have to be able, like there are those things right now, right? Something called moments, is it? Oh yeah. 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 You moments put it on your phone and it can tell you how long you've used each app. Um, yeah. I'm wanting to put that on my older son's phone so he can see, you know, how much time he's spending yeah. music or whatever. That's a great idea. It's, it's a really effective way to raise awareness because how do you know what goals to set if you don't know where you're starting from? Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, they don't realize, I mean, none of us do, right? I know sometimes I sit down on my computer to get something done and a half an hour later, <laughs> I've not done that thing. I'm lost yeah. in Lululand. I don't know where I am. Like what? And I'll shake my head like, good Lord, <laughs> what? where in the world did I go? <laughs> and maybe I got one or two good things done, but mostly I've just been lost. And yeah. that happens to adults. And, you know, I'm a mindfulness teacher, crying yeah. <laughs> out loud, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, the devices you're using are, are not designed to catch you when you're, you know, getting distracted. They're, they're really designed for distraction. Yes. So we're trying to reimagine what if they had our best interests and our objectives in mind. And so wow. there's a ton of things that a lot of apps like Moment are doing, whether it's raising awareness or helping you set boundaries or, you know, challenging you with a friend to disconnect. And we, what, what we're doing is a, is a bit different. We, we kind of see those methods as effective as like vitamins and painkillers. But what we're really doing is just completely changing the environment, like the city that you're in. Uh, so every time you open your phone, it's a whole different experience. So right now we have a more Zen garden-like home screen than the Times Square that most people open to, seeing all the corporate logos competing for their attention. And we let you personalize what you want to see a hundred times a day. So right now my phone says, what's here now? And has some emojis. You know, just like kind of trigger me of like, oh yeah, you know, what's, what's going on in my body? Like, is there a reason I'm opening my phone? What am I avoiding? And there's nothing that's going to suck me in from that home screen. Wow. And then you swipe to the right and we, we keep your tools close by you know, the utilitarian apps that you need to get around, like maps and calls and notes, but they're all unbranded and they're grayscale. So again, nothing can be for your attention. You should never have to open your phone to do one thing and then find yourself half an hour later forgetting what you came to do. So we're trying to protect your attention and prevent you from using it unconsciously. Then we have a feature called Tempo where you can decide at what intervals you want your notifications to come in. So right now, the default is either as they come all the time or you turn them all off, but only a handful of people actually do turn them all off. And then it's, it's not really strategic because like, obviously some notifications are more important than others. So we let you batch them. So they come at the top of the hour or once or twice a day, like the mail. <laughs> and yeah. we're just trying to make these phones smarter to our lives because they are so smart. They could know when you're next to your partner or when you're focusing on something on your desktop because you have a calendar invite. And yeah, like what if they, we're just more on our side and we have the luxury of being able to define those design principles from the get-go. Uh, whereas some of the bigger companies, not only can't they move, they, they move a lot slower and they're also tied to business models that are anathema to what we're trying to do. 
Wow. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. It's, it's so valuable. And from all of the parents listening, <laughs> I, I say thank you. It's really been a pleasure to have you. Is there anything besides, I want you to tell people where they can find you and follow you. Um, we already gave them your Twitter handle. Is there anything you want to close with or, or, or did we kind of wrap it up? Yeah, no, just, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I really enjoy this work. Um, I'm not really angry at my past or at these big companies. I, I think it's a beautiful opportunity for us to come together and figure out what we value and, and how we want to create the digital world for our kids. So yeah, um, definitely check out Ciempo at www.getciempo.com. You can sign up uh, for the beta test if you're an Android user and you can also sign up for when we'll release iOS later in the year. And then any questions, email me, andrew at co. I think about this stuff all day long and it really <laughs> brings me great joy to help people. And yeah, I'm in the Bay Area. So we'd love to go for a walk, have some tea, maybe watch a sunset. It's kind of what I like to do. <laughs> oh, that's great. So the San Francisco Bay Area and Ciempo is S-I-E-M-P-O. Correct. Yes, and it's getciempo.com, right? Correct. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. This has been so helpful. Thanks so much, Michelle. I'll see you soon. Thank you. And we will say goodbye to our listeners here. Um, If you are enjoying the podcast, I would be so grateful to leave a rating on iTunes. Um, Again, you can go to my website, beamindfulparent.com to join my community. I'll be out in the Pennsylvania area in May at Rise Gathering, which is an amazing gathering for women from May 18th to the 20th in the Poconos. It's a three-day, two-and-a-half-day retreat, and I'll be leading workshops on mindful parenting and also women's leadership. So would love to see you there, and thank you for being here with us. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.